Welcome to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Today, I've got with me Kevin M. Brennan, actor, writer, and producer. Kevin, it's glad to, glad uh, you can make it on the show. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, great to be here, Max Billington. Good to see you. Good to hear you. It's been a minute since we've seen each other in real life, and I'm, I'm back home right now in Keller, and good to be doing this with you, man. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah, absolutely. On, on computers just across town, but hey. That's right. <laughs> I know you're here in Texas, so uh, we're yeah, man. have you back in the Lone Star State, and I'm I'm sure you're glad to kind of be back and and see a little bit of hometown. Yeah, and see very if, very. I know you come you come back home every once in a while, but you know, looking back in our days, way back when, it's changed a lot around here. So, it sure has, man. I mean, I, I mean, I love coming home to see my folks and see all my friends and you guys and stuff. It's always always fun, but. It is, it is definitely not the town that we grew up in. That is, that is sure. <laughs> Very different kind, town. Kind of alluding to that, you know, we, we've known each other for years and everything, but uh, for those folks that don't know exactly who Kevin and Brennan is, get, walk us through your background and, and what you, you know, kind of started out and what made you want to pursue this actor, producer, writer uh, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, it all, in fact, did begin in Florence Elementary, where you and I met <laughs> in elementary school. Uh, no, yeah, you know, around, like, I'd say middle school or junior high, man, like, we, you know, one of our good buddies, Russ Bonnick, he had a camcorder that he bought, and uh, or his dad's or something like that, and we were always just running around making stupid videos, um, and we always had fun doing, and then in high school, uh, me and Russ and Matt Harshbarger started doing the video announcements for the school. So every morning when it would, you know, air on the TV, we, you know, we were the guys who were doing that. And we would always try and make them fun and do like sketches around them. And we actually, you know, cared, cared way more about doing the sketches than we did about the announcements. <laughs> um, and so we were doing that a lot. And then I was also doing uh, theater classes in high school um, with Mrs. Lewis and uh, she was great. And uh, we did the one act play and all that kind of thing. So competition with that, all kind of stuff. Um, and then also, like, in high school is when I started my first band um, with a lot of guys you know. Uh, and so I started playing music and, you know, playing little gigs here around town and sometimes even going out to Deep Ellum to play the big club. Um, so that was kind of all, you know, where it all kind of started. And then after uh, we graduated high school, went down to University of Texas in Austin. So down in Austin, uh, where I majored in radio, TV, film. So I got my you know, film degree there. And that was, you know, the immersing into the whole, you know, history and, you know, technical of cinema and all that kind of stuff, you know, what, what you do when you're in college. Um, and I was still playing in bands there, you know, in Austin, uh, playing a bunch of bands and doing music stuff down there as well. Uh, and acting, uh, actually down in Austin was the first time I ever acted in a feature film. Yeah, because uh, I, I remember I was going to get money from the ATM and there was a little just handwritten sign on the ATM that said, want to be in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> and realizing now how dangerous that could have turned out to be um, <laughs> what kind of movie um so it's had those little pull tabs on it so i pulled a tab and i called the number and it was a guy who was in town from los angeles uh who was making his first feature film and he was casting because he was shooting in austin and uh and so i auditioned for a part and i got a part and then i also ended up helping him sort of make the movie because i was you know, interested in filmmaking so that was yeah the first feature i ever acted in um and then after we graduated I hung around Austin, or sorry, yeah, I hung around Austin for a minute just trying to make the band thing work, and I was living in this tiny little apartment and playing in band and, like, waiting tables and substitute teaching, and it was just not going great. <laughs> so uh, one of my really good friends, Kelly Williams, uh, who he still lives down in Austin, he's a producer down there, uh, he's a huge comedy nerd, and he was like, hey, man, I'm going to go to Chicago, and I'm going to uh, take classes at Second City, and you should come with me because you're not doing anything here. Um, <laughs> 
And I was like, and I was born in Chicago, actually. I, we moved to Texas when I was in second grade, so I grew up here, but I was born there and I have you know, family there. And so I was aware of Second City, um, but I didn't really have an understanding of like what the theater was. I knew like SCTV and I knew some of the famous, you know, names that had come out of it, but I had no idea what the training center was or what, you know, was going on there. So he was like, let's go up there for a weekend, uh, you know, and let's check it out and see what, you know, we'll get a little, you know, tour of the classes and whatever. So we went up there and we watched a show and it blew me away, man. I, I you know, improv is such like a known thing now um, and not to <laughs> age us and date us too much, but you know, this was before Who's Line It, you know, was it anyway, was on the air, you know, which I think was America's sort of big, in a lot of ways, introduction to improv as an art form, um, even though it had been happening, you know, in theater circles in Chicago and stuff and, uh, for years. But anyway, we go up there and we watch the Second City show and it blows me away and we, we stay for the improv set. And I'm like, holy cow, this is, this is what I want to be doing. This is amazing. I love this. I love their making it up. It's so cool. And then we did like a little tour of the training center and we we're like, oh, there's writing classes or improv classes. And it's this like community of people who are all just making, you know, cool stuff happen and sketches. And I was like, oh man, let's do it. So uh, we come back to Texas after a little trip and we start, you know, looking at apartments online and like getting ready to go. And I remember uh, two weeks before we left, uh, Kelly <laughs> said, hey man, I'm not going to go because I just got a full-time job oh, at no. the Austin Film Festival. Yeah. As like one of their head programmers. Um, and he was like, and I want to stay for this because I've, you know, I've been volunteering there and I want to do it. And I was like, well, I'm going to still go to, to Chicago. We, you know, ran this apartment or whatever. And I grabbed our buddy, Michael Gallagher. <laughs> yeah. we, we went together up there and we, we drove off. Uh, the day we drove off was September 12th of 2001. So the day after 9-11. It was, it was weird, man. It was very, very surreal. Very surreal driving like across the country with like no airplanes in the sky and, you know, the, right. the country on alert. And, you know, I mean, there was even a moment where we were kind of thinking like, should we turn the U-Haul towards New York and just go see if we can help out and maybe live there for a few months to be a part of like, you know, I don't even know what that means, help out, you know, or whatever. But yeah. anyway, we kept, we kept going towards Chicago, but yeah, it was a weird time. Um, and then, yeah, got Chicago, man. And uh, that was, I mean, that was a big life changer. That was, uh, lived there for five years. I started taking uh, writing classes at Second City in Chicago at the training center Started, uh, you know, doing a lot of improv and doing a lot of sketch comedy shows. I started a sketch comedy group with some buddies called The Fantastics, and we were kind of doing our own thing uh, where we would book our own shows and put up our own shows and everything. And, you know, I'm not going to say we made tons of money, but, you know, we made a little bit of money. Um, I mean, we also had day jobs and stuff, but it was nice. It was like the first time kind of seeing like, oh, I see how there's a way to do this, you know, um, definitely need a little more success at it. But here's how the, you know, how the needle is threaded in a way. Um, and so that was great and met a lot of my, like, to this day, like best friends that I have out in LA and guys who I work with to this day. Um, and so, yeah, did Chicago for five years. Um, that's where I got my SAG card <laughs> was, in, was in Chicago because I had a tiny, tiny, tiny little part in a little movie called The Lake House. Uh, <laughs> wow. Well, see, you're, you're kind of jumping ahead there because I, oh, did I miss something? Remember, I remember seeing The Lake House with the wife. Yep. And so we're watching the movie and you come up as the waiter and I'm looking, I'm like, that's Kevin. She's like, that's Kevin. I didn't know he was in this movie. And she's like, who? I'm like, you, you remember him. You met him years ago, but I'm, that's Kevin. He's the waiter. And that's when I, I reached back out to you. I'm like, dude, I saw you in a movie. I had been so long since we had caught up and you're like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing the movie thing now. So, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of a wild thing. It was, uh, 
you know, again, I was in Chicago at the time and uh, they were shooting the movie in Chicago and an old college friend of mine, she was the assistant to the director on that movie. And everything, like any movie that, you know, leaves LA or, you know, shoots in another city, all the main roles are cast, you know, from Los Angeles with, you know, the big name celebrity actors, but they'll do, you know, all the little side roles of like the waiter, or, you know, like the valet guy, or, you know, like the doctor who tells them the bad news for one scene. That's, you know, generally that's local casting that they get from the city they're in, because then they don't have to pay to fly somebody first class out there in a hotel and all that. Right. Um, so my friend who was the assistant director, she was in town and we were hanging out. And she was like, hey, so there's this part for a waiter. And if you, you know, if you, if you audition for it, you know, I'll do everything I can to tell the director to cast you or whatever. And I was like, amazing, that would be great. Um, so I auditioned for it and, you know, like she pulled her strings or whatever. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I mean, not to degrade my own talent, it, it is only like three lines. Um, so literally a monkey could have done it. But anyway, <laughs> um, but, it was, uh, but it was a scene with Sandra Bullock. I mean, barely a scene. I mean, you know, so, uh, but it made the final cut of the movie. So got my SAG card and went to the theater on opening weekend and watched it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a yeah. you know, big big kick um and shortly uh oh and i think it's, it's a funny part of that story as well is when my shoot date was for that movie my band that i was in in chicago called decimators we were out on tour uh and i got the role and it was like a quick like hey we need you here for this shooting date and we we're out on the road so i had to get a flight from albuquerque in the middle of our tour to go back to do this one day of shooting Oh, and then wow. I got back on a plane the next day and flew back out and finished out the tour with my band. <laughs> but nice. but uh, it, was, it was what I needed to do. Um, so yeah, so then after Chicago, I was in Chicago, like I said, for five years. And, and it kind of got to the point where, you know, and I think a lot of Chicago, you know, performers and actors that feel this way is like, you know, if you can make it in one of the Chicago theaters, that's amazing. And there's an amazing Chicago theater scene there and a lot of amazing actors. And if you can become a part of that in a regular basis, that's awesome. And then occasionally a movie or TV show will come to town and, now they have, sorry, shouldn't say it. <laughs> Dang. Uh, now they have like Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. So a lot of Chicago actors are getting you know work off that. But you know, back when I was there, there weren't all those shows. So kind of the best you could hope for as an actor in Chicago would be like you're a part of a prestigious theater group, and then occasionally a movie or TV show comes to town, you get a little role in that, and you you know make a little money, whatever. But that's kind of it, you know. Um, and that's great, and I love that whole scene. But I've always you know been really interested in TV and film and making TV and film be a part of that scene which, you know, back then, this was 2006, you know, it's like LA is the place, you know, I mean, a lot of production had, had started moving to Canada, you know, like, a, there was that whole thing in the 90s, where a lot of production started moving to Canada for tax breaks. Um, and that only became, you know, more and more, and it's still happening today. But all the stuff with like, Atlanta is was not a thing, then. that's not where all the Marvel movies were made, you know, back then or anything yeah. like that. Um, so it was like, yeah, you got to go to LA, you know, or New York, if you want to do, you know, you know, bigger theater, or whatever. So yeah, so in 2006, packed up the U-Haul again and uh, moved from Chicago to LA. Um, and yeah, man, kind of thankfully, you know, I'm very, very thankful and grateful for this is I have a really, really great group of friends who I know from college and also Chicago uh, who had already moved out there. Um, and obviously I stayed in touch with them. So when I got to LA, I had like a really solid group of friends I still have to this day who we were all supportive of each other. And, you know, it's everybody who's, you know, trying to be actors and writers and, you know, directors, all this kind of thing. So it's all people in the industry. Cause man, I, you know, I meet so many people in LA who like, they move out by themselves and they don't know anybody. And it is, it is a crushing city if you don't have friends, man. And especially if you're trying to do the entertainment thing because right. nobody cares about you, you know? Um, so yeah, so I was very lucky to have a good friend support group kind of thing out there. Um, and yeah, when I got out there, uh, got with one of my very old Chicago or, uh, high school buddies, 
or sorry, not high school, college, uh, buddies, uh, Todd Berger, and then a couple other Chicago guys, uh, Jeff Grace and Blaze Miller, who we all met in Chicago doing improv in Second City. And we started a comedy group called The Vacation Years. Um, and we were very, very early, early days <laughs> of uh, YouTube. And we, uh, we were, you know, doing our little videos. And at the time, we had like a monthly show that we put up at this place in LA. And we would do these short films. And then we would do a little improv with sketch comedy. But really, we were kind of focused on our short films because that's what we really enjoyed doing. And that was kind of our outlet. And back then, it was like, you know, Dan Harmon was doing Channel 101 where, you know, he'd have people do their shorts and show them in a theater or whatever. And then YouTube came and it sort of changed everything. We're like, oh, we don't need to have a monthly venue to this. We can put it online and literally everyone in the world can watch it. Um, so we started doing more and more shorts and just putting them online on, on YouTube. And uh, we did this one short uh, back then called Google Maps, which uh, went viral, which back then going viral meant you had 1 million views, you know, <laughs> because there weren't even that many people looking at YouTube anyway. Uh, but we did and it you know it was featured on CNN in this little clip and it was all just about like the creepiness of like you know the Google Maps like the camera how the street view kind of like takes pictures of everything and and in our version of it it comes inside of these guys apartments and it like spies on them and it freaks them out whatever um, so anyway that was like you know on CNN and like feature whatever and then we get a call from Google and uh, they're like hey we saw your video about our maps you know uh, software or whatever and, uh, you know, we want to talk with you. And we're like, well, if you're going to sue us, we don't have anything <laughs> <There's nothing laughs> to take. Um, and they're like, no, 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 we don't want to sue. No, we want to fly you up to Mountain View and we want to give you a tour of the campus. And we want you to meet with our geo team. And we're like, okay. And so they fly the four of us up there and they put us up in a nice hotel and we go tour the campus, which was amazing and mind blowing. Uh, and then we sit down with their geo team and this was in 2007, I think. Um, and they were like, so, hey, so we noticed when you guys did your, you know, maps thing, our usership in Street View, the function on Google Maps, it spiked, like, huge. Like, your oh. video made made a bunch of people realize we had this feature and made a bunch of people engage with it, right? So, we were like, well, that's cool. <laughs> and they're like, well, here's why we wanted to talk to you. is because we have all these other maps features. We have something called Google Earth, which, like, I mean, everybody knows what this is now, but back then it was new where we've mapped the earth and it looks like a satellite and we have Google moon where we're mapping the moon and we have all these other little features. Like we have this thing called Google my maps where you can make your own personal map of your life. We're like, Oh, cool, cool, cool. And they're like, and we'd love for you guys to make some videos about all these features. And we're like, Oh, okay. Like advertising. <laughs> and they're like, and they're like, well, you know, we're Google. And at the time, at the time, if you, you probably remember this back, their big thing was we're Google. We don't advertise. Exactly. Right? They were just like, there was just a search engine that is for the world and for the masses and we don't advertise and whatever. Obviously that has very much changed. Um, so, so, uh, so we, we came home and they're like, you know, go home, think about it. You know, if you want to run some ideas by us or whatever. And so we got home, we were like, man, it was cool. And they were super nice people. And we, you know, who doesn't want to be in business with Google, right. but at the same time, they're not offering to be in business with us. They're just asking us to do some favors. For, you know? And, and we kind of thought about that, you know, for a little while. We're like, you know what? We're not going to be Google's bitches just for no money. Um, so we said, but they're a multi-billion dollar, then now multi-trillion, whatever corporation. We're like, we got to get something out of this if we want to do it. So we hit them up. We're like, hey, we know that you've just recently, this was in the news. They had just gotten to some partnership with uh, Sony. And we're like, hey, we saw your partnership with Sony. You know, we do these videos, but we borrow a friend's camera, which at the time we literally were, none of us owned a camera. 
and we borrow a friend's HD camera and, you know, it'd be really nice if we do more videos for you guys, if we were given a Sony HD camera to shoot these videos on, and then we'll send them to you guys and they'll be in HD quality and it'll be beautiful and they'll be great. And they wrote us back an email and they're like, this conversation never happened. And then two days later, a brand new $5,000 Sony HD camera showed up on Todd Berger's doorstep. <laughs> and we went and we made like five more Google videos. That they, I mean, they didn't ask for approval on them or anything. They were just, you know, we just did them. But we have a tone we want to do them in. And I mean, they're still on YouTube. You can watch them. But um, do you yeah, ever think just, that when you sent that, that the guys over at Google, you know, answered the email and everything and then turned around and laughed said we just got these videos for real cheap because we got one of these cameras laying in the back room we're trying to figure out what to do with so we got to send it to these guys out in california and they're going to do this bro i mean oh, absolutely and also i mean you know you think about it like this was again this was 2007 and it's like that hd camera that they send us which at the time is five thousand dollars the like lowest end iphone right now is a better camera than that camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so yeah, so you're, you're 100% right. They're like, oh, we can get more videos of you guys for, you know, a camera? Sure, great. Um, but we were stoked, you know, because it was oh, a really sure. nice camera at the time. And yeah, and so we went and did our thing and we made five more videos and gave them to them. They were really happy with them and whatever. Uh, and then we, the real kind of trick behind it was we took that camera and then we made our first feature film. Um, it was those guys I mentioned, Blaze Miller, uh, Jeff Grace, and Todd Berger. Todd Berger wrote and directed the movie. It was called The Scenesters, or it is called The Scenesters. Uh, me and Jeff Grace, we produced it, and then all four of us acted in it. Um, and it was a, man, it was as indie as you can possibly get. It was, it was before Kickstarter, before Indiegogo, you know, any of that sort of GoFundMe, any of that stuff. Uh, so it was us just literally calling every person we knew and being like, we're making a movie. Here's a little, like, investor packet. And also, if you don't want to invest, quote unquote, we'll take a donation, you know, whatever. Um, and we had like investment levels. It was like, if you give us, you know, less than $500, that's just a donation. If you invest anything over 500, that's an actual investment. And you could maybe get paid out if we make a bunch of money or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, we, I mean, dude, I, you know, like Carl Henshaw, I think gave us like, you know, 200 bucks, you know, like right. one, one of our good buddies. And yeah, we had friends like, you know, pop a couple bucks here and there. Um, and then we had like some actual like, you know, big investors that like came in for, you know, multiple tens of, you know, thousands of dollars. I mean, but still the budget of it was, you know, minuscule compared to any sort of movie you'd see in theaters. Um, and yeah, man, and we, it was ambitious. It was a ton of locations, a huge cast. Uh, but we had a great crew, an amazing crew that all like worked for super cheap and favors. And you know, we gave everybody a little title bump so we can make it worth their while. Um, but everybody's really, you know, excited about it, ambitious and you know, wanted just, you know, the whole thing to succeed. Um, and we did it. We made the movie it's, and it uh, ended up playing a ton of film festivals and it premiered at uh, Slam Dance, which is like the redheaded stepchild to Sundance up in Park yeah. City, uh, the, the more punk rock version. Um, like you say, with uh, some of the people that you called in for the favors and stuff, you gave them a title bump. I mean, that, that gives you mm -hmm. more credit on IMDb, you know, and I'm yep. guessing that's, you know, that's a big deal in, in the film industry to have all those credits, the acting credits, the producer credits, all that. I mean, it's kind of like yeah. when I look you up on IMDb, there are 37 Kevin Brennans on <laughs> That's right. But there's that's only right. one Kevin M. Brennan. So you were smart well, there. I'm like, look well, at Kevin Brennans. What's going on? Uh, but you're right there at the top. You're like, no, I'm Kevin M. Brennan. That's right. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because, I mean, that's partly my doing, but more so it's SAG's doing, Screen Actors Guild. 
when I got my SAG card, no, no two actors can be registered with SAG under the same name. Okay. So when I went to register, they said, you know, what's your name? What do you want your you know, screen name to be? And I was like, Kevin Brennan. They're like, nope, taken. <laughs> and I was like, and they're like, they, and they said, they're like, if you want, we can contact the other Kevin Brennan. There might've been two of them even. Um, and then we can contact them and see if they want to like, you know, get rid of their membership or something like that. But they're like, but nobody ever does that. I was like, no, 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 no whatever. And then I was like, what are my options? They're like a middle initial. And I was like, oh, I can meet Kevin M. Brennan. They're like, yeah, that'll do. And I'm like, okay, that's me. And then when I got into the WJ, which is the Writers Guild, um, same, same exact thing, um, except there was already a Kevin Brennan. There was already a Kevin M. Brennan. So my writing name, when I write like you know, officially, is my full name, Kevin Michael Brennan. Oh, wow. <laughs> really annoying, really annoying. I, I, yeah. I got to admit, I mean, Kevin Brennan doesn't sound like that common of a name. You know, of course, Mac You'd be surprised. There's, I mean, the, the one big guy who always kind of overshadows is there's this stand-up comedian, Kevin Brennan, who he's, I think he's probably about 10, maybe 12 years older than us. And he's been around, you know, doing stand-up comedy forever. And he wrote for SNL. So, and then when I was starting to do comedy stuff, it was, dude, I've had like, my agents will get calls. Like I got a call. Do you remember that, uh, uh, Pete Holmes show crashing on HBO? Did you watch that? No, no, no. It was like Pete Holmes, a stand-up comedian. He had a show on HBO for a couple seasons. And I get a call from my agent and they're like, Hey man, we just got a call from crashing. They want to know your availability to shoot like next Tuesday. And I'm like, dude, I love crashing. It's one of my favorite shows right now. I guarantee you they're wanting the other Kevin Brennan. <laughs> so, I was like, please call them back and say that if they are talking about me, I will get on a plane to New York right now. But I guarantee you they're talking about the other guy. And they're like, okay, we'll check it out. And they just emailed me back. They're like, yeah, they wanted the other guy. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, yeah. you know, you never know what doors that could have opened, though. You know, they're yeah, like, for sure, for Kevin Brennan out there. Let's, you know, check him out. What? Oh, Kevin. Yeah. Oh, you know, he's yep. a bit longer name, so maybe, you know, maybe there's something there. I, I, I mean, honestly, I should have just showed up and tell him, "Yep, that's me." Go, go <laughs> be on set. Um, yeah. So anyway, and and also it's funny with that name thing. Um, like, so another way more famous person, uh, Danny McBride. There is another writer, because Danny McBride, you know, he writes a lot of movies and his own stuff. Uh, there's another writer named Danny McBride. So whenever you watch a Danny McBride movie, it says written by Danny R. McBride, his middle initial. And then it says acting in as Danny McBride. So he, you know, he takes his acting name as Danny McBride and then his right has to be, you know, the other, whatever. So anyway, it happens. Um, where were we? So yeah, so we make the Seamsters movie. Uh, and yeah, it plays at a ton of festivals, like all over the country, even some internationally. Um, and we got a distribution deal after we had our festival run, which is you know kind of the the you know the end game of any indie movie is you want to get that distribution deal, um, and then you know ideally make some money, but that's pretty hard in the indie space, no matter how you slice it. Um, but yeah, Seamsters is out in the world on iTunes for rental and stuff like that. And first movie that we did, and then after that, um, we well, I uh, went and made a movie with my writing partner, Doug Manley, called Planet World, <laughs> that I'm, I'm very proud of. But we, I mean, we made that all in for like $6,000. <laughs> but, but we did play a bunch of festivals and it's, it's a crazy weird, like slapstick kind of comedy. It's, it's ridiculous. And we, we didn't find any distribution for it. So we just put it on YouTube. So if you want to YouTube that, you can watch the whole feature right now. Um, but we played a bunch of festivals and that was really fun. Uh, and then we did another indie called Holiday Road 
which was like a bunch of our filmmaker friends, everybody sort of, it was an anthology, um, kind of right when the anthology craze was hitting, you know, movies or whatever, uh, or feature films. And that was really fun. We got into a bunch of festivals with that and went back and played slam dance with that one. Uh, and then we got to um, It's a Disaster, which is probably the most well-known thing I've been involved in uh, movie-wise to this point. Um, and that is a movie starring uh, David Cross and Julia Stiles and America Ferreira and Rachel Boston and Aaron Hayes. Uh, and then me and Blaze Miller and Jeff Grace and Todd Berger also wrote and directed that one. Uh, and Jeff and I produced that as well. Um, and yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely like a sort of a step up for us. You know, it was still an indie movie, still money we raised, you know, from investors and people. This one was a little bit more like, you know, we, we started getting into more of like the actual sort of indie movie funding space with some producers who like they fund indie movies. That's what they do for a living. You know, so we dealt with some of those folks on this one, uh, which we didn't really do much on the scene search. And, you know, obviously working with, you know, some bigger name town on this one, which, you know, was amazing. Uh, I mean, David Cross is a comedy, you know, hero of mine. I mean, to this day and got to be friends with him and, you know, consider him a friend to this day. So that was a huge life, you know, event for me. Um, and working with Julia Stiles and Eric Ferrer and then Aaron Hayes, who, you know, I was watching all the time in Children's Hospital. Amazing. And Rachel Boston, super cool. Um, yeah. And we, we made that movie. Uh, and then we premiered at the LA Film Festival in 2012, I believe. Um, and then we started talking to distributors and got a distribution deal uh, through this company called Oscilloscope, based out of New York, um, who's been really uh, good to work with. And yeah, and went and you know it's been on Hulu and Netflix and Amazon and iTunes and you know we we had a theatrical release with it, uh, a small one. It was like I don't know, like maybe 50 theaters across the country, but it's uh, it was fun, you know, to tell friends in different cities like, hey, you can actually go to the theater and watch this one, you know, whatever. Um, I did get to see it in the theater, and uh, yeah. if you remember this or not, but y'all also kind of spun off that uh, live version that you held. Yeah, yes, I remember. And yeah, I, you came. invited me to that one night. Yeah, man. Got to see that. I remember walking in, and somebody comes up to me and says, uh, yeah, are you signing up for the open mic night? I'm like, no, dude, I'm, I'm here to see like a movie thing. And they're like, no, it's an open mic night. I'm like, what has Kevin gotten me into here? And you're like, <laughs> all part of the deal. I'm like, hey, man. Yeah. Heads up would have been nice because I'm thinking yeah. I'm get up there and say something. I just came to see a show, man. <laughs> I just, I just, I hand, I hand you a guitar and I'm like, get up there, dude, play a song. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, yeah. We uh, we spun it off into a little uh, live sort of interactive theater piece, uh, which was a ton of fun. We we did it at this uh, brewery actually out in Los Angeles called the Golden Road Brewery, which I'm sure their beers are out here too, but um yeah they have this like sort of event space in the back of the brewery that we turned into like our our theater because the whole conceit of the you know the theater piece was that it what you, what you just said it was like the audience is coming to this bar for an open mic night and then everything happens and they're all trapped inside the bar like there's an end of the world type event going down outside and they all have to sort of be in there together and the actors are like a part of the audience and they're all you know have you ever seen like a tony and tina's wedding or like a awesome 80s prom kind of thing it's like that interactive sort of theater stuff um but it was a ton of fun we had a blast doing it yeah you, you came out for it. we had some good audiences out for that so it was really cool um and yeah and then after that man um then things sort of moved career-wise for me like you know a little bit more intensely into the writing world um where me and my writing partner we uh, wrote uh, these three features for nickelodeon tv features uh, called Lost in the West, and they were these <laughs> Western time travel movies um, that we did that were really fun, and that was kind of our our first, like, real big, like, paid writing gig that we had done, um, even though we had been writing together for a long time, 
And then that parlayed into our first TV, like proper writing job for a TV show on uh, this show called Still the King <laughs> with uh, Billy Ray Cyrus that was on CMT for two seasons. Uh, and that was amazing. That was such a blast doing that. We shot out in Nashville. Um, I acted in it as well as write, uh, writing on it. Um, it was amazing. It was, you know, my, my buddies I'd known for a long time, they created it. Um, so it was amazing to work with friends and we were, you know, lucky enough to sort of get a lot of our actor friends to be on it, which was amazing, you know, as well. Um, and that was such a, such a fun time. such a cool thing. Uh, and that show ended in 2017 was when we finished airing. And then since then, man, um, just, uh, been working on the projects. Like I've sold a couple TV shows to some different networks here and there. Uh, unfortunately nothing that has been on air yet but it's you know this is kind of the the you know the working writer's life is like pitch a project sell a project and like go through all the steps and you know and hopefully it makes it to air you know <laughs> hopefully it makes it to a second season whatever um so yeah so yeah right now just in the throes of a bunch of different projects that are all in kind of those stages of like all right we're, we sold something now we see like are they going to give us you know green light the pilot are they going to green light the first season like all that kind of stuff so gotcha. um, so perfect kind of segue into my yeah, next question yeah. here. so uh talk about your writing process i mean from the, the mm -hmm. moment that little idea pops in your head i mean do, do you have like a room you lock yourself in that you say <laughs> gonna you know lock myself in here and until i've got 10 pages done or or do you you know take a walk on the beach and throw five rocks into the ocean before you start talking? <laughs> what what goes on in your mind before you start writing those scripts yeah man that's, that's, yeah, that's a process question. Of, of going from yeah. idea to putting something on paper yeah so i mean you know right now kind of and i, I think this is probably somewhere for a lot of people who write in the you know the hollywood game is you know you, you kind of have some projects that you're like okay this one's for a paycheck <laughs> and then you have something <laughs> like okay this one's for me um and and very rarely did the two intersect unfortunately <laughs> unless sure. unless you're quentin tarantino um so it kind of depends on you know which of the projects i'm approaching like if you're going to say you know pitch a show idea or a movie idea to a company to say like i know that let's say Paramount is looking for a robot movie where the robot becomes best friends with a kid and they save the earth. I know that's kind of like something they're looking for, an ET kind of robot movie, whatever. You say, okay, what's my take on it? Okay, well, it's going to be this kid who lives in East Texas and it's going to be a girl and she's going to like have big dreams about being an astronaut, but you know, she's in a wheelchair, whatever the f or right, whatever the heck it is. <laughs> Beep that one out. Uh, whatever the heck it is. And you say like, oh, and the robot, you know, is going to be this person, whatever. Um, you're like, that's my pitch. So then you go into Paramount and you're like, here's my pitch on the robot with a kid friend movie. And they're like, cool, cool. Uh, we don't like that. Or we like that. Great. Here's your money. Go write that. Versus like, ooh, do I really care about the kid robot movie? Do I just want to go write that on my own? Um, so the difference being, if you're going to write, and they call it, so it's called writing on spec, meaning like writing speculation. Um, if you write something on spec, that means it's like, okay, I'm going to sit down because I want to write this movie because I think it'd be fun to write. And I don't know if anybody's ever going to give me a dime for it, but I'm just going to do it because I'm a writer. And you know this, Max, you've published books. So <laughs> you, know, you know what the process is like in that sort of realm. Um, versus if you're not writing something on spec, it usually, at least my experience, has been way more pitch-based of like, you're going to sort of think about the idea, think about where it's going to go. And then you go pitch this idea to the production company or the network or the studio or whatever. And then they'll say, we like that. Now go write us an outline, you know, um, and there's stages to it. So yeah. if I'm writing, so I'll kind of back this up. So I'm, if I'm writing just on spec, a personal idea that I think like, hey, this idea, whatever it is, is going to make for a great feature film. I just want to write it. I'm just going to go for it. 
um, I will always start with an outline. Um, and that outline will take different kind of forms of like, you know, will I throw a little dialogue in there? Sure. If I think like, you know, I, I don't want to forget this funny line or I don't forget this like meaningful like piece of dialogue, I'll throw it in there, you know? And then sometimes I will parlay into like, well, you know what, why don't I just write this little scene out? You know, so I'll have this sort of outline. It's like, okay, I know in this part of the movie, you know, this like big chunk of action is going to happen here, but I don't really worry about how that's all going to shake out. I know it's going to happen. I know there's going to be an elevator crash and I know this person's going to die. I'll figure out how that happens later. But then after that, I'm going to write this funeral scene that's really heartfelt and touching and kind of funny because I know what I want to say in that scene. Okay. And then after the funeral scene, I know they're going to have like a post-funeral party where somebody's going to get too drunk. And they're going to be able to fight. I'll figure out what that is later, but then moving on from that, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, I always start, like I said, with that sort of outline, you know, uh, or call it a treatment or call it a scriptment, you know, some people call it where you're actually putting a little dialogue in there. Um, and then from there, you know, I just start writing the pages because you then have the map and then you're basically just kind of filling it in with dialogue. Um, and I mean, you know, to back it up even further as far as like, you know, wandering on the beach and deciding what, like, you know, what idea I'm going to write next or whatever. I think for me, it's like, if it's a personal project, like I said, it's, it's like excitement based. It's like, man, do I really, cause you're devoting the time again, Max, you know, as a writer, like you're sitting down at that computer for hours at a you know, clip. And if you're not excited about it and you're not passionate about it, it gets really boring real quick. And that turns into it turns into a lot of pages that you meant to become a whole bigger thing that are now just something you never want to finish um, because you didn't really think it was a great idea, you know, to go down that road. So that's for me, it's got to be, you know, excited about, you know, how to get to the end of it and passionate about it because if someone's paying you to do it, that's a different story. <laughs> you, right. can, you can easily trade out passion for money. Uh, <laughs> On some of those passion projects though, I mean, have you gotten to the point where you're like, man, this isn't working. It, how, how, how much do you push yourself to try to get to the end? Or do you, yeah. you, say, you know what? I've, I lost the passion here. I'm just going to drag it over to the recycle bin and be done with it. Man, I, I mean, I hear you and I know, and I, you know, I know that sensibility and I have tons of friends who, you know, have, you know, folders on their desktop littered with like half of scripts. Uh, and I get that. I, I don't do that. I haven't done that. I don't want to ever do that. Um, even if halfway through a script, I'm feeling a little disenchanted by it or a little not as excited. I push myself to finish because I just can't stand to have that. Like if I'm going to start it, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, for me, right. if I'm going to start it, I, I got to finish it. You know, um, that's, that's not to say I don't have a number of scripts that suck <laughs> because of that. <laughs> So, uh, so what you're saying is they're all finished. They're all finished. Yeah, there's been some of those where like halfway in the middle, you're like, you know what, I'm just going to pound the rest of this out and get this done so I can say it's done. And, and you yep. that that's what you did. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Plenty of those exist. Plenty of those exist on my desktop. <laughs> so uh, actor, writer, producer, if somebody from Hollywood comes in and says, Kevin Brennan, you've got to pick one and you can never do the rest ever again, which one would you <laughs> It's so it's funny, man. Like, well, you, you also left out uh, the music part because I've I've been playing music longer than I've been doing any of this stuff. Um, sure. But it, no, it, it's so funny, man. I this question comes up like so often, um, and uh, I, I mean, I don't think just to me. I think for a lot of people who you know are trying to do a lot of different things with their you know creative career, um, you know, for <laughs> it's really for me like kind of based on honestly where sort of my career is right then so for right now 
you know, what is paying my bills is the, is the writing part of my career, you know? So if you were to tell me like, Hey dude, choose one of those things right now, I would say, well, it needs to be the writing thing because my sure. last acting gig was an unpaid short film that I did. <laughs> you know, that's not the greatest thing. Um, so I would say right now, like if I'm to be put into a box or whatever, I'd probably you know, have to go the, the writing route. Um, you know, it's certainly like, you know, I'm saying like the music stuff, like I still actively play music and record and, you know, I love it. And I've been doing that since, you know, we were kids and that's never made me a dime, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, but that's something that I'm never going to stop doing, even though I know it's not really ever going to be a path to any sort of, you know, success financially, at least, because I just love doing it. Um, but yeah, if you were to, you know, tell me like, Hey, you know, you need to figure out like how it's all going to shake out career wise from here on out one thing, I would probably say, yeah, the writing. Well, okay. So let's put it this way. Google calls you up again and says, <laughs> hope you enjoyed that camera. Uh, now, since it's been years later, we were thinking about you and we want to stroke you a check that's going to take care of you for the rest of your life. So we take the money out. Oh, yeah. So now, go. which one do you pick? Uh, I, I think, honestly, I would probably still stay in the writing world because, I mean, I, I love acting and I've been doing that for a long time. And, you know, but it also is a very... I don't know. It, you know, it's, I mean, the body changes and people, you know, like you're... I mean, it's, it's just, it's a tough career, even if you're being, you know, if you're taking care of money wise to maintain, um, I mean, I don't mean the body changes, like I'm, you know, I'm being, you know, <laughs> degraded into not walking or anything like that. Um, I just mean like, you know, it's when you're, when you're writing, you know, it's obviously more cerebral, it's more in your head and you can tell any story you want. As an actor, there's a time when you sort of, you age out of roles, you turn into a different looking, you know, you know, you're not going to play those kind of roles anymore, whatever. So you kind of get limited, you know, as a writer, you know, you just, your name's on the page and I can write, you know, a movie about, you know, a, a horror movie as much as I could write, you know, this movie or whatever. Uh, and it doesn't matter, you know, where I am in my life. You know, I could be an 80 year old man doing that or whatever, you know, or I could be who I am now. Um, so I do enjoy that freedom of like, writers can literally write whatever they want, you know, whereas actors are like, yeah, dude, you can do that role. And like, uh, it's not really right for you to do that role, you know, whatever, so. It's a little more limiting, I would say. What What do you think about uh, the the old school studios versus now all the streaming networks? You got Netflix, you've got uh, Hulu making movies, you've got Amazon Prime making movies, picking up movies, but also making movies. And then you got the old school studios. I mean, it, are we going to shift and see more of the the Netflix studio? A, a, you know, Netflix presents this or whatever it is, or you know, and see some of those old like Paramount pictures, are, are they going to start fading away? Are they always going to have that stranglehold and just kind of change the way they distribute movies? Um, you know, I mean, this has been going on for, for years now. And I mean, I think if anything, you know, the, <laughs> the revolution has already occurred and it's still occurring. I mean, yeah, the streamers, you know, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, you know, Disney plus Apple plus whatever. Um, they are obviously they've taken over you know that's 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 happened that's what's going on right now now is it going to get to a point i mean because the thing is like paramount makes a movie that they then you know sell to netflix you know they can co-produce on it and that's been happening for years man like studios have partnered together like paramount and dreamworks will make a movie together you know they right. made you know like iron man the first one i think was a paramount and some other i mean not marvel obviously was a part of it they weren't marvel studios yet um, but it was like a co-production. A lot of those big budget movies are like co-productions among studios. So, you know, I think it's really honestly a little bit more about like kind of like what their sort of taste is and what you kind of brand them with, you know, like 
like Netflix, I would say their original movies as of late, um, <laughs> they've been these sort of interesting, like they'll drop something on Friday night. Like I watched one a few months ago, like Project Power. Did you see that one? No, I haven't seen that yet. It's like, it's like Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, and, and it dropped like, and on a Friday night, I was like, oh, this is one of those Netflix sort of action-y drop on a Friday night with some names I've seen it. It's not a great movie, but it was kind of fun. It was interesting. It had like sort of a superhero vibe to it. And I'm like, oh, that seemed like a Netflix, just drop it on a Friday night movie. And that's like a genre now, you know, um, versus like, you Netflix know. and chill genre, basically. is what you're Exactly. Yeah, have exactly. something on in the background. Yeah, exactly. Very, very well put. Um, versus like, you know, you think about like, well, then what does a Sony movie look like? Or what does a Paramount movie look like these days? Um, and, and I don't really have a good answer for that. <laughs> you know, I don't know what like yeah. a Paramount movie is, but I do know that you know, in just my experience, like there are, you know, what your idea is, or you're thinking about an idea to pitch, um, or even if you've written something, you will first call your agent or manager and be like, hey, I've got this idea, or I've got the script. First thing they will say is, oh, uh, like your script about like, you know, the haunted restaurant. Okay, cool. Well, Sony doesn't want anything to do with ghosts right now. Uh, Paramount doesn't want any food stuff. So we're not going to go there. Ooh, DreamWorks, DreamWorks, they want to do some something with a ghost. So we'll go to DreamWorks. Uh, and then like, uh, and then we'll look at like, you know, via, uh, I think, well, Warner Brothers. Oh yeah, Warner Brothers. They want to do like a ghost type thing. So we'll go there. So it's also like, what uh, are those studios looking for? Which means for their, you know, big wigs who are crunching the numbers, what do they think is going to make money right now? You know? And it's like, why does, you know, why does Warner Brothers think they can make money off a ghost restaurant where Sony doesn't think they can, you know? And sure. it's, you know, it's usually based on the fact that like, well, Sony probably already has a ghost restaurant idea happening. And they're not going to do another one. Well, Warner Brothers doesn't. So if the Sony one does well, they'll do theirs. You know, it's all that kind of you know, yeah, kind of kind of like the the guy outside the industry, like me. I I kind of think all the you know studios are saying we want sequel ideas, we want remake, mm -hmm. and we want sequel ideas because we you know we constantly joke me and my friends about how it's like every movie that comes out is is a sequel of a movie or a remake mm -hmm. or, or something. Totally. We've bombar been bombarded with you know quite a bit of that stuff. So. Uh, well, and then also, I mean, you know, a big, big ruling sort of thing is the the pre-existing IP, the pre-existing intellectual property. So, you know, I know some uh, I know some screenwriters who they wrote their feature, you know, just as you would write a screenplay, and it was not getting any like tread around town. So what they did was they went and they turned that screenplay into a graphic novel or a trade paperback, whatever you want to call it. And then they sent the graphic novel trade paperback around and they started getting all these meetings and all these pitch meetings because everybody was like, oh, it's already a graphic novel? Holy shit, it's already existing IP. Wow. That means, you know, we know it can be a thing. So, you know, if anything, like, and, and, you know, I mean, look at everything we watch right now. Everything we watch is like 90% pre-existing IP. And that, and that could just be a book you've never heard of. It could be, you know, like a, a, a magazine article or, you know, it could be a podcast and you're like, oh, that was a thing before this. I'm like, yeah, because that makes it anything to sort of make the people who sign the checks understand that this could be a thing. That's what excites them. Yeah. So in other words, what you're saying, they made it a thing before with some other medium and yep. made money or it is at least got some kind of a following behind it. So totally. turn it into a film. We've proven that this back there before made some money, has a following. We put some money behind it, some marketing behind it and fund a good film. We ought to make some money on it. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, and the money part of it obviously is in there, but also man, like, you know, I mean, you, you know, your book, Libertines, like you got your, your motorcycle gang book. And if I were to write a script about motorcycle gang, and then we take that in the studio and we take your book and we say, we're going to write something based on this, pick one, they're likely going to pick your book over my script <laughs> because it's like, Oh, this book already exists. We know what it is you know, Kevin's script over here, I don't know, in the hands of the wrong director, it could get weird or whatever. Uh, you know, and we see that Max has this book that exists in the world. And even though, and I don't know this, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I mean, if your movie is not selling, or your, book, your book's not selling a billion copies a day, which I hope it is, Max, I really hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a billion copies a day. Just have a billion. But even if it's not selling a billion copies a day, they somehow view that as like superior to something that's totally untested, you know? Gotcha. Well, I'll, I'll yeah. my phone call when my books get optioned for that movie. You know, keep keep selling a billion a day, and you'll be fine. <laughs> so, uh, with everything going on with COVID right now, I mean, you you got to yeah, the age of COVID, or as you call it, the great sickening from <laughs> this YouTube video that you got, which is great. Everybody needs to check Thanks, out man. the ancient. Uh, Thank you. From the ancients, sorry. Tales, tales of the ancients. Tales of the ancients. Yeah. See, see, that's why my books aren't selling a billion copies because I can't even read my own handwriting right here. <laughs> so, do you, do you think because of all this going on that you know writers like yourself and other writers are sitting there on a bunch of ideas and they're just waiting for some green lights to be lit when things loosen up and it's a little bit easier, let's say, to make a movie? Yes and no. I mean, the the no part is is that, dude, like, I mean, yeah, when it all first started coming down in like February, March or March, April, sorry. Um, yeah, everything shut down, like all the production shut down, you know, whatever people were in the middle. I mean, my, my girlfriend, Libby Wells, the greatly talented writer, she writes on the TV show Dynasty. that's uh, on CW. Um, she was literally in Atlanta. Um, and they were about to, because when you're a TV writer, you are there on set when they're shooting your episode that you wrote gotcha. and they shoot in, in, in Atlanta. So she, they get flown out and she was there during pre-production of her episode. So it's like, you know, four days before they start shooting the episode and she was out there in Atlanta and doing pre-production. And then the day her episode was supposed to start shooting was the day they locked everything down in, in the country. And she literally got on the last LA flight out of uh, Atlanta to come back yeah I was like I was like tell me when I'll put gas in the tanks I'll come drive out to Atlanta and get you, <laughs> you know? it's like that'll be a fun road trip um, but thankfully she got on that flight and made it home anyway this is all to say that yes everything shut down everything across the world but some things started opening up sooner than others and right now dude like production's back like I mean Dynasty has been shooting for months now our, our very good friend, if we're not Matt Harshbarger, he's a camera guy and he's been working steadily, you know, for months now on different product, different productions, you know, um, here and there. And all my, you know, all my friends back in LA, like who steadily work, you know, who are more like crew people, you know, kind of who like go from job to job to job and don't have a lot of downtime. They're all working. Like they're all just, you know, on, on to things. So now, so yes, yeah, so a lot of production is back and they're all, you know, from what I understand, they're all being very safe about it. It's like you get tests every day when you go to work. Uh, you know, they tell you like, hey, when you get home from work, don't go to the bar and, you know, suck down eight beers, like just go home, you know, and, and people don't want to get sick. So they're being good about it. Um, and so that's been happening. Now to back to your question of, you know, are people like, oh, okay, production's back, green, green, all, the, all these ideas. What's really kind of been, you know, problematic for, I guess, people, you know, with like trying to pitch ideas 
is when stuff shut down back in March, April, all the production companies, all the studios started having this backlog of stuff that they were supposed to start shooting over the summer that they didn't get to do. So if you're in a position right now, like me, if you're like going to pitch a brand new idea to somewhere, the answer is cool idea. We dig it. But we already bought eight properties back in the spring. We bought these eight scripts, these eight show ideas. We're committed to doing those and we had to pump the brakes on those. So now we're doing those right now. So we don't really, we're not buying anything right now is kind of where it's at. Um, yeah. Sense. So, yeah. So all my friends who like, you know, were more in like the sort of pitching, you know, world of like trying to sell shows, everybody's like, yeah, I'm getting meetings and I'm pitching and people seem interested, but literally no one's buying anything right now because they have this backlog of stuff they need to do first, you know? Right. So. Yeah, it makes sense. So got a uh, listener submitted question. For you. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is the only thing I didn't prep you on. Okay. I'm ready. The ready. strangest thing that you've had to do to get a job. Taking a huge gulp of water before that one. Um, let's see. Do I, get, do I get to know what the, what user submitted this? Or is it someone <laughs> I don't know? Uh, no, it's, it's nobody you know. Nobody you know. I got you. Um, <laughs> the strangest thing I've had to do to get a job. Let me see. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know if there's been strange things I've had to do to get a job. There's been strange things I've had to do during a job. Should I do that well, instead? Well, that was, this, that was the second part of the question. So uh, if, if well, things strange that you had to do to get a job, what's some of the strangest things you've had to do during the job? Sure. That, that's way far more. just didn't expect that, you know, you were going to have to do for that gig. Yeah. Um, well, there was, there was a movie that I did uh, in 2009, 8, 9, maybe 10, uh, called Super Zeros, which was a ton of fun. It's a lot of the guys I worked with in Nashville on the Billy Cyrus show. Um, my buddies, Travis Nicholson and Patsy Pontroli. Uh, they wrote and directed it, and uh, and I was like kind of a, a, a bad guy and like a Biff Tannen kind of Back to the Future type bad guy. Yeah. And uh, and there was a little subplot in the movie about the main characters. Their job was uh, emptying porta potties was their day job. And so at the end of the movie, there's this whole big like porta potties exploding thing that happens or whatever. <laughs> you need to watch the movie to get the logic of it. But anyway, um, there I was. And my like final shot of that of that movie, uh, sitting on this porta potty, that I mean it was not real feces, thank God, but it was you know like muddy water, whatever. And the the joke was I'm sitting on this toilet and it's just blasting up and like you know flooding the whole toilet thing that I'm sitting in. Um, and that went on like a number of takes, <laughs> <laughs> just sitting on a toilet and having just like you know what is not actual feces water but fake feces water just blasting up the toilet into my face and into my my body and everything so that was that was interesting yeah, yeah so so after that in in multiple takes did they come up to you and say we got it on the first take we just wanted to do this to you and see how many times we could do it to you you, you know what that actually did happen on the last take the director who he's my buddy but he yeah he was screwing with me on like the last take he was like all right one more time man and this time i think we're gonna spray it right in your face i was like what he's like no i'm just kidding <laughs> Um, and then uh, more recently, uh, which is actually well, you know, just the holiday past, that uh, we did this movie called uh, The Turkey Bowl, which we shot up in Norman, Oklahoma, which I was just acting in. But um, it's like a high school, like not high school, it's well after high school. It's about these two rival high schools who much later on in lives, like our age, they come back to play sort of their rival game as, you know, guys our age or whatever. 
um, and the whole town has a big rivalry. And right. that was a super fun movie to do, but <laughs> we were playing in this. So the final whole part of the movie is the big game, right? The two teams sure. against each other. And there's a subplot, or not so, but there's a moment in the movie where the, the bad guys, I was on the bad guys team, we burned down the good guys' field house. And wow. we burned all their pads and all their helmets and their gear and everything. So in, in the attempt to make them forfeit, okay? Because they don't have any pads. So they come to, you know, they come and they're like, no, we're going to play without pads. And you guys have to too. And we stupidly agree to play this padless game. It's full tackle. So the final, like, week of shooting the whole five days of the final week of shooting it is a bunch of dudes our age who are playing no pad tackle football <laughs> for four you know, for camera so you know we can you know it's hollywood so you're kind of right. taking a lot of stuff but it also a lot of it was very real and we were like you know, we, we had only two stuntmen on sets for two team full teams of men playing football um so that was interesting because we a lot of people got injured <laughs> <laughs> playing tackle football which was kind of crazy but it was fun i i brian hansen is the main guy in that movie and i totally by accident like i'm tackling him at one point i gashed his face open with my <laughs> hand my, and, and yeah they're like all right medic over here stitch up brian's face let's get back to shooting oh that's fantastic well Kevin, yeah. is so great catching up with you appreciate you doing you brother tell uh tell everybody how they can find you on social media your youtube all, all that good stuff yeah, man. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. So, uh, Instagram, I'm, uh, Kevin M Brennan. Um, and then I also, my band on Instagram is the Irish goodbye. Um, and then, uh, on YouTube, you can look at that sketch comedy group. I was talking about earlier, the vacation years. Um, we just dropped, or I just dropped, uh, a brand new, it's going to be for the next three weeks series that Max was talking about called tales of the ancients, uh, which is kind of a fun little web series. That's sort of like talking about the COVID ravaged future and telling children what they missed out on. Uh, so that's going to be coming out on that uh, YouTube channel for the next three weeks. Um, and then, yeah, Facebook, I'm just Kevin M. Brennan, find me there, whatever. Um, and that all, that all the social media there is. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. Yeah. There's so much social media now. I can't even keep up with it, but we do yeah. have the vacation ears channel on our channel as well for, Oh, cool. Sweet. Well, so uh, people can find yeah. it. So, well, Kevin, yeah, man. thanks for joining us on this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd, and uh, we'll catch you next time, man. Take care. Stay safe. All right, brother. Thank you. You too.